be still. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. He says, be still and know that I am God. Be still. Be still. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble, an ever-present help in the midst of your brokenness, an ever-present help in the midst of a broken relationship, brokenness between a parent and a wayward child. An ever-present help in trouble in the midst of a broken marriage. Be still. Though the earth give way, even though there are pressures at work, talk of downsizing, restructuring, dysfunctional team members, dysfunctional leadership, sales quotas that you can't seem to meet and you probably won't. Be still. Though the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, be still. If it seems like the wheels are falling off, be still. When the doctor shares the news and you know that the months ahead will be hard and uncertain, painful. Though waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, when it seems like the water is surging all around you, you feel trapped, you're lost. You feel like things are spinning out of control. You have nowhere to go. You don't have the answers. Trapped by fear. Trapped by disappointment. Trapped by confusion. You're scared. And God says, be still. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. He's speaking to you that. But for some of us, it seems impossible to be still. It seems, it's, it's, it's a logical impossibility. It doesn't make sense to be still because of what's in front of you. But I believe and what the Bible teaches is that when we truly grasp and understand who Jesus is, we can be still and follow. Follow in obedience. Follow in faithfulness. And we'll see that this morning. And that's actually our now what? It's printed on the, on the uh, top of your page. That when I recognize Jesus for who he is... I can be still and follow. 
If you're new with us, we're, um, we're, we're going to wrap up next week our series still. And it, it's been a, a great series of encouragement, of challenge, of, of transforming our thinking into what does it look like to have God as our refuge? What does it look like to come before God and say, I don't have the answers. I don't know if I, if I should go left or right. It's a series about giving up self-sufficiency and embracing wholehearted dependence. This morning, we're going to take a look at Matthew chapter 14, and you can turn there in your Bibles and follow along in just a moment. It's an amazing story that captured this, captures this idea so well of recognizing Jesus for who he is and then being still and following faithfully. It's a two-part story. Two acts, if you will. Act one and then act two. Each with their own unique point that, that Jesus is trying to bear out and um, which is really captured in our now what? And we're going to come back to that over and over again because that is really the truth behind this passage. He wants his disciples to understand but that when they truly grasp who Jesus is, they can be still and follow in obedience. So follow along with me at verse 22. We'll start right there. It says this, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from land. Let's pause right there. So this Matthew 14, this story uh, occurs right after Jesus has fed the 5,000, 5,000 men, not including women and children, whole lot of people. Pretty impressive, wouldn't you say? Yes. Okay. Um, the people were very impressed, more so than you guys. And they were so impressed, they said, you know what? This Jesus is legit. We should make him king. If he can feed all of us with like some, some fish and loaves, let's get him on our team and we'll show those Romans who's boss, right? You guys in? No, we're not going to do that, Jesus said. That, that doesn't line up with Jesus' mission. So much so that he literally just grabs his disciples and starts throwing them in the boat. I mean, the, the language is strong. It's urgent. He doesn't want his disciples to have anything to do with this idea. He didn't come to kick out the Romans. He came to conquer sin. He's not going to settle for kicking out Romans, the Romans. He had a mission to conquer sin and death, and nothing was going to get in the way of that. He didn't even want those seeds planted in the disciples' minds. He says, get out of here. Get in the boat. I'll take care. I'll dismiss these guys. And then he went up to the mountainside, and he spent some time with the Father. He was still before the Father. He had communion. He had relationship with the Father, to rejuvenate. Verse 24, and we read, And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. 
This is a strong wind. According to John's gospel, this story is actually found in John, Mark, and Matthew. And um, according to John's gospel, they were already three plus miles onto the lake with another, say, two and a half to go. There was no turning back. It was also now about three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning. The wind was strong. The waves were crashing into the boat. This wasn't like, oh, this is kind of a bumpy ride. This is a life and death situation. These guys have been rowing for hours and hours. They have nothing left in the tank. They are terrified. They are scared to death because they're going to die. This is a crisis. And then we see this. Verse 25. Shortly before dawn, so we'll say about four o'clock in the morning, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. But when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It is a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. They were just absolutely scared to death. You're like, on a lake? I've been to Big Bear. I've been to like Lake Elsinore or Lake Paris. It's beautiful out here. What's the big deal? Take a look at this clip. This is the Sea of Galilee. It's a little windy today. This is not a live cam, sorry. Um, it's a little windy. They don't have a motor in the back of their boat. They just have those oars. They're rowing against that. Water's starting to come into the boat. They're about to lose it. And then they see a figure walk towards them, which is quite unusual. And they start to freak out. Is this a ghost? Playing into you know, some of the superstitious uh, thoughts in, in their own mind, in their culture. But no. Who is it? It's Jesus. It is Jesus. Calmly walking on the water. And here, verse 27, check this out. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. I love that. And you should too. I love it. But Jesus doesn't just you know, kind of walk on the water and he's like, Oh, looks like the boys are in trouble. Well, let's see what happens, you know? He takes action immediately. He doesn't want them to be in, just terrified in mental anguish, thinking, thinking they're going to die. No, Jesus takes action immediately, he said to them. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid, guys. I'm here. Let's unpack Jesus' words. Three little phrases that he says. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Because that's where the message is found for act one of our passage. It is powerful. It is incredible. Let's start with take courage. Take a look there. It's in your notes. Uh, what he's saying there is take courage, take heart, which is confidence and firmness in the face of testing. 
saying, take courage, have confidence, have firmness. But Jesus, we're dying. It doesn't make sense. I have zero confidence. But what does he say next? Take courage. I am. Take courage. And it has two little words that follow. And they are powerful words. These words are huge. These two little words. It says, ego, Amy. That's Greek. For I am. Which is the Greek translation of the name of God. He disclosed himself in the Old Testament, for example, to, to Moses in the burning bush. And he says, I am. So he says, take courage, take heart. I am is here. You can have confidence, firmness of purpose, because I am is here. It's actually pretty incredible. When you look at those two little words, ego me, there are 99 words that precede that little phrase. How many words do you think there are after their passage? 99 little words. What does that tell us? Is that by accident? I don't think so. The focus of this passage is on the I am, on the almighty God, Jesus is I am, amen? But he's not done. Wait, there's more, just like the commercial. What does he say? Don't be afraid. This is really cool too. In, in Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, it's a prophetic book, and a lot of the prophecies are looking forward to the Messiah, the coming Messiah, the, the coming Savior. And, and, and throughout this, this book, Isaiah, se like 700 years before Jesus would walk on this earth, he, he would connect this idea of the I am and don't be afraid. An example is found in Isaiah 43, and I want to read it. These words are absolutely phenomenal, powerful, so encouraging. Isaiah 43, you can follow along in your Bibles, and it's also on the screen if you need it. Uh, it says this, but now, this is what the Lord says. He, he who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, he who formed you, people of Trinity Church, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. That is God's word to you. I am is here. Do not be afraid. Because when we recognize, when I recognize Jesus for who he is, I can be still. He's the one that formed me. I am his. 
Act one. Focused all about Jesus, his identity. Fancy word we use for that is Christology. Who Jesus is. And now act two, the camera kind of shifts. There's a new scene that's going to unfold. Act two is all focused on discipleship, following Jesus. What does it look like to follow Jesus? That is discipleship. How will will the disciples respond to Jesus' revelation of who he is? What will they do next? Because you see, uh, the thing is, it's, it's on your notes is that our discipleship, you know, the way we follow Jesus, our discipleship is always linked to our Christology. Let me unpack that. The way we follow Jesus is absolutely linked to our view of Jesus, who we understand him to be. Let me give you an illustration. I've shown you uh, two pictures on the same slide. Let's take a look here. Okay. Some good looking gentlemen there. See the young guy over there? Um, he looks like he's dressed like a pilot. He's 19 years old. And he is the youngest commercial airline pilot. 19 years old. He learned to fly, or he, he did his uh, first uh, flight alone when he was 15 years old. Pretty impressive, don't you think? Yeah, it was really impressive. But then you look at him, and you're like, wow, like, I'm not even sure he can grow facial hair. You know, just like me. Um, he just learned to tie his shoes. How can you fly a plane? But he does. He's been trained. He's been doing it for a while now. Who's the next guy? Sully. Captain Sully. What a great name, by the way. Well, it's not his really name, but his nickname. Captain Sully. He's been flying uh, over 30 years. Over 30 years. That's incredible. Landed a plane in the Hudson River. Wow. Um, Was that the point? Hello, hello. Lord, is that you? Um, Landed a plane in the Hudson River. Incredible. Wow. Who do you trust more? So you've got a flight tomorrow, Ontario, got your bags packed, and you are ready to board the plane. If you're me, you have to board the plane like this, because you won't fit through the door, you know. Um, and then you look over to the cockpit, and, and, and you, see, you see Luke sitting there. You're like, oh, that's cute. He's taking a picture, you know. Then you're like, oh, no, he's the pilot. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Um, I think we're going to be okay. I, I trust Luke. Um, this is going to be okay. And then, and then and you take off. And then, anyone a fan of turbulence? Anyone's like, that's a good time. I love it. Not a fan myself. Um, and, you know, things start, start getting rough, and you're like, oh, my goodness. I'm not sure if, if Luke's got this. Wouldn't that be your, your thought? It would be totally my thought. Um, if I looked over and be like, oh, my goodness, it's Sully. I'm like, oh, we're fine. <laughs> We're good. That guy can do anything. He's a superhero. But what if you knew before boarding the plane that one of the engines would fail? First of all, if you knew that, you really shouldn't go on the plane. But <laughs> let's assume that you, you're going to do this. You're going to get on the plane. You've got two options. 
Whose plane are you going to board? Luke's or Captain Sully? Guys, I'm, 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 I'm voting Captain Sully. I'm sure Luke is a great guy, and one day he'll grow facial hair because C- Captain Sully clearly has got that going for him. But I, I'm, I'm going with Sully. I have a feeling you would too. Here's why. Let me put it this way. My Sullyology is driving my actions. My Sullyology is, 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 is determining how I respond in my willingness to board his plane. He has encountered crisis situations before, and he landed a plane in the Hudson River. Like, we're going to be fine. In the same way, my Christology, my view of who Christ is, drives my discipleship. It drives how I follow Jesus. And the two are absolutely linked. Now let's see how this plays out in Act 2. Look with me at verse 28. It says, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? So Peter and his buddies, they've been rowing for hours. They've been rowing all night. They have nothing left to give. They're going to die. Water is coming into the boat. And then Jesus shows up. And Peter's like, Jesus, is that you? He's like, yeah, it's me. Jesus, if that's you, call me. Like, tell me to come out of the boat and come to you. What does Jesus say? Come. He commands them to come. So then Jesus, uh, not Jesus, Peter gets out of the boat, one foot. Not sinking. And another foot. Oh my goodness, I'm standing on water. Just one step at a time. He's walking on the water. Jesus is still a ways off, and he's walking towards Jesus. But then he starts to look around, and the wind is blowing, and the waves are crashing all around him, and it's dark, and it's raining, and he gets scared. He takes his eyes off of Jesus, and he begins to sink. And Jesus is standing over there. He's like, oh, that'll teach him. Um, No, what what do we read again? Immediately, immediately, Jesus takes action. When Peter cries out, Lord, save me. Really powerful words right there. If you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, think about those three words and make those your own. Lord, save me. And Jesus yanks him out of the water. And he's good. Then he says, Peter, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? That's really the, Jesus' statement right there, his questions right there, is the key to understanding act two. It's about faith. 
Why did you take your eyes off of me? Peter, why did you doubt? You got distracted. You got scared. But I was right there, buddy. Has that ever happened to you? Happens to me a lot. And Jesus needs to remind me, right here, buddy. Lock it in. Act 2 is all about the response of faith. And there's two questions that surface that I want to talk about. Where do you place your confidence? And where do you find your courage to follow? Where do you place your confidence? And where do you find your courage to follow Jesus faithfully? This narrative is about obedience. It's a responding to Jesus' call. You see, imagine that the story was just a little bit different. And somehow I made it in the Bible story, which would be awesome. Let's face it. Um, and the disciples are over here in a boat. And I've got my own boat over here. And I'm just kind of rowing. And I, I, I call out to Peter, hey, Pete, come over here. He's like, want me to swim over? No way. No, walk on the water, of course. You think he'd come? No. It's like, who do you think you are? But when Jesus calls him, well, now we're talking because of who Jesus is. He's got confidence in the one who is commanding him to say, come. So he responds and he walks on the water. He's got confidence in, in, in who Jesus is. He wouldn't trust me, no offense, but he wouldn't trust you either. He's got confidence in the I am. So he takes one step and another, but it also takes courage to walk in obedience. You know, confidence to, to respond to the call and courage to follow through faithfully each step along the way. If Jesus called out to Peter and said, hey, Peter, come, come, come join me over here, and uh, Jesus, do you want me to walk. Yeah, yeah. You'll figure it out. You got this. But the reality is, Peter can't do it. How is he able to do that? It's Jesus giving him the strength to do it. Isn't that right? It's when he, when he fixes his eyes on Jesus that he is able to be strengthened through the power of the Spirit to walk across the water, to walk in obedience because of his, his confidence in who Jesus is and his courage, the power which is flowing through him. It is only when he starts to get distracted and sees the waves, sees the wind, hears the howling wind, and he gets scared, he panics, and he sinks. So what does that look like in 2019? Jesus isn't here in the flesh. Where, where, where do I look? Where do I put my eyes? Like, 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 like Peter. Jesus is right here. He's in his word. When we talk here about fixing our eyes on Jesus, we fix our eyes on his word. 
and he will promise to guide you, to coach you, to encourage you, to challenge you, to transform you as he speaks to you and he says, keep it locked in. I, I, know, I know about the waves. I see him, Jesus says, but don't worry about it. Keep it locked in. And he speaks to you words of encouragement through his word. What happened on that lake that night was pretty incredible. Powerful. So much so that we read in verse 32. And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. Amen? But check this out. At the end of Act 1, what did we read? I am is here. At the end of Act 2, what did we read? Truly, this is the Son of God. What do you think this passage is about? This is all about Jesus. The I am is here because, as our now what statement so, so, so clearly captures, when I recognize Jesus for who he is, I can be still and follow. My Christology is driving my discipleship. My understanding of who Jesus is, the I am, the almighty God, a, a good God, a gracious God, I can walk in obedience, faithfully following one step at a time. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, what's your next faith step? What is Jesus calling you out on? What's he speaking to you? Is your next step to trust him in your pain? Oh, he knows that it's painful. But he whispers to you this morning, take heart. I am is here. Do not be afraid. Come. Is he calling you from, from across the, the, the waves? He's calling you out. He says, come, trust me. Trust me with your uncertainty, an uncertain future. What's college going to look like? Trust me. What will I do next year or the year after that? Trust me. Take heart. I am is here. Do not be afraid. Maybe he's calling you to trust his word and what it says about an area of your life that you know doesn't quite line up. And the Bible calls that out as sin, right? Will you trust him even with that? And say, I am is calling me. I will come. 
I'm going to walk one step at a time, trusting him for the courage, for the strength to do so. Come, take heart. I am is here. Do not be afraid. If you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, I can think of no better response than those three words we read earlier. When Peter sank to the bottom, what did he cry out? Lord, save me. If you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, you need saving. I would challenge you. I would encourage you to come to a place where you personally can admit A, admit that you are a sinner. And by the way, we all are in this room, not singling you out. You are a sinner broken before God. And you need saving for that sin. To be, to believe that Jesus paid the penalty for that sin, which is death, so that he can give you new life. He can give you transformation and an eternal destiny, an eternal promise of heaven. And see, to choose, choose to follow in obedience, to follow faithfully, not perfectly, relying not on your own confidence, but confidence in him, the one who saves you, relying on him, the one who gives you strength to follow in the journey. As we close this morning, we're all in different places in, in, in our journeys of life. Some of you are coming off the back end of just a really challenging time in your life, in your family, at work. Um, others of you, you're on the front end. And it seems like a pretty steep climb. Some of you are somewhere in the middle. Others of you, we're actually doing pretty good right now, you know, and it feels kind of nice. Wherever you find yourself, as you follow Jesus, know who he is, because it will drive the way you follow him. Know that you can be still and follow, because he is God. I want to pray. I want to pray for, um, for you guys, and uh, if you bow your heads with me. If you find yourself in a storm right now. First of all, I want to say to you that, um, that your heavenly Father is an ever-present help in trouble, even today. I want to say to you that his grace is sufficient even for you that he loves you incredibly much, that he is with you. If you find yourself in the midst of white water, crashing waves, I wanna pray for you. Before I pray for you, can I ask you to, to just raise your hand and I, will, I would love to know who I'm praying for. Would you just pop up your hand 
and show me. And I'd love to just pray for you in your storm, even this morning. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray for my brothers and sisters. And Lord, would you impress your word of truth on their hearts? Not my words, your words of truth. Your words of encouragement, of affirmation, of hope and healing. Father God, would you uh, be just especially near? Would you be just so present in their trouble? Father, I pray you would surround them with other Christ followers to help bear the burden. Father, I pray that, that your grace would absolutely be sufficient for them, and we know that it is, Lord. Father, would you strengthen? Would you bring courage? Would you bring hope? Because I am is here. Would you whisper to them, I am is here. Would you whisper to them, do not be afraid to, to be of good courage. Father God, we thank you that you are a good father, a loving father, that you are near. In Christ's name we pray, amen.